there is a memory I have and like all memories it probably doesn't matter too much whether it's true or not though it wouldn't take much for me to confirm again and that is this when I was a child one of the classic books I was allowed to read was Lord of the Rings and as a child I was a voracious reader by the time I was about 11 years old I had poured over the Silmarillion and the other works of Tolkien got lost in those worlds was excited by the amount of depth I found there and like many who are excited about something I tried to tell my friends about it a lot of my older friends as well tried to get them interested and around that time was when one of the Lord of the Rings movies was released I don't remember which one I'm sure we could find out by correlating my age and I tried to get them excited at that point or through some of the video games that were coming out that had to do with Lord of the Rings and there was no interest there was a week I think or it was probably a weekend a time between a, a Friday evening and a Monday and I say this because that's when everyone in my community at the time would be most likely to socialize because the other families or, or the other children really were far more studious than I was and typically did not see all their friends until that time and one of my friends had a cousin visiting from Australia and she was very easy to talk to I think and probably had an openness about her that was uncommon at the time uh, in my environment which led her to be quite popular with everyone anyway I brought Lord of the Rings up in the span of time to find myself dismissed and in the same span of time she brought Lord of the Rings up independently and this 
was greeted with a lot of attention. Um, I remember a conversation in which an older boy seemed to stand there enraptured by her words. And so I was confused. Why is it that the same subject seemed unappealing when it came from me, but very appealing when it came from her? In many ways, this question has continued to haunt me for most of my life which is probably why this memory exists. In more recent years, of course, I've kind of noticed the opposite beginning to happen as well. Why is an idea appealing when it comes from me, but not appealing when it comes from someone else? This probably has something to do with attraction and what we as people are attracted to and how that interacts with the social dynamics of groups over time. Robin Hansen, the economist who really studies a little bit of everything, but is probably most prominent in my mind for his work on popularizing the idea of signaling or how much of our everyday actions carry secret messages and how much those secret messages matter more than the explicit communication we engage in in everyday life. A example is if I were to get a taco, it might not be just because I want food, but because I am the sort of person who eats this specific kind of taco at this specific place and time. This is why ads, when they are done particularly interestingly, tend to sell a lifestyle or identity instead of a product. But Robin Hansen does, in one of his blog posts, have this sort of minor paragraph that I think is extremely important because he outlines the fact that not only do you need social proof in order to adopt something, a new idea, a new practice, um, a new relationship, not only do you need the proof that other people like this thing, but You need to believe that the people who you respect most, the people that are high status 
in your eyes, in your world, will be ready to endorse this new practice or idea or thing or relationship imminently, soon. So you don't get points for endorsing something 50 years before it's time. You don't get points for endorsing something that everyone already endorses. What you get points for is endorsing something that the celebrities in your world, the high-status people in your world, will endorse in a month, or six months, or, or a year. Something like that. So, you have a changing environment, and in order to adapt to this environment, and stay adapted to this environment, you typically need to take in as much of it as you need to, to protect yourself from things that are too surprising to survive in the future. The heart of attraction is fitness in the sense of survival. So when something is attractive, I believe it's essentially compressed a lot of the things that you have available to you in your world that you associate with fitness. The classic peacock's tail is attractive because given everything a peahen knows about the environment, a peacock's tail is attractive. It signals fitness. It says, I am so good at survival that I can afford to put this expensive piece of art up on my ass. And it doesn't matter if it makes it easier for predators to spot me. Part of how we gauge this as extremely social animals is the assessment of all the people around us of everyone else's fitness. If enough of the people who we consider prestigious embrace something, if the people we consider fit embrace something that implicitly suggests that that thing is good for fitness. And so we are attracted to it. Now, all other things being equal, if you're put on a desert island with a group of people, they are going to select the person over time, maybe even a few generations, that is best at surviving in a desert island as the most fit and therefore the tastemaker of what is attractive. All our cultures are like this island and so within that culture different things are attractive because what it takes 
to be fit in each of these cultures is slightly different. So if you want to get an idea, a project, or yourself, if you want to get this thing more accepted, you're going to have to get the endorsement, the approval of the highest status people in each culture. Or at least you're going to have to credibly convince the people that you are trying to convince that those people in their culture will be convinced by you. Today, we get most of that programming, we get most of that culture from TV. And what I mean by that is mass market video. People, when you ask them what is most prestigious, will typically select what is most prestigious to them without thinking for an instance about what is prestigious to people in other cultures. Which is why when you ask a researcher what's most prestigious, they might give you a uh, another researcher, a famous researcher, a um, Feynman or an Einstein or some something like that. Or uh, if they're stretching a bit, they might give you a politician. You know, a politician and a scientist still have more in common, say, than a soccer player. Which, if you judge prestige by attention worldwide, some of the most prestigious people are soccer players. However, because many of us um, me, certainly, and I'm assuming you, if you're listening to this, live in a certain sort of culture. That culture does not acknowledge the prestige of soccer players, even though if you would get a, a poll of the 7 billion people who exist on this earth, you would probably get a soccer player out of it. Um, and this... I think tends to annoy people when they find out that their culture is not the dominant culture. This is possibly why educated intellectuals are especially annoyed with, say, the popularity of the Marvel movies. Because it indirectly tells them that their culture, the culture that they have picked out as the most dominant one, is not yet dominant. And it does not really matter if you have a Heinleinian competent person. Uh, the Heinleinian competent person comes from a Heinlein character, the, the fiction author. Um, where the idea is that a, that a truly competent man would be a generalist instead of a, a specialist. Someone who knows many things um, and can do many things, more importantly than knowing many things. 
you know, uh, change a baby's diaper, sail a boat, uh, fight a war, uh, work in a lab, make a chair, so on and so forth. It doesn't matter if someone is competent in that manner because if you are in a culture that only, say, values A, B, and C, someone who values A to Z will appear less prestigious than someone who only values A to C and who is competent within A to C. So everything from E to Z for the typical competent person would be ignored. It would not go into the calculus for a potential audience, for a potential adopter, that this person actually has more information from more cultures and worlds than someone who specializes in the culture that they are a part of. This is changing. And why this is changing is because of the sheer number of cultures that we have matched together in the last 200 years. There are a lot of benefits that come from being in the spaces between cultures. However, the way it works is being at a crossroads, coming from a crossroads and using the things that happen in crossroads does not bestow prestige and wealth quickly. These are benefits that are marginal and they add up over time. And we take a long time to acknowledge when something new is dominant because it is new. When an upstart culture starts displacing you, you typically react with disgust if you were the dominant culture before. Especially if that culture still seems smaller. You can see this in the progress of the tech industry in terms of social status. You know, back in the, the late 80s and early 90s, it wasn't really high status to be a dropout startup founder with a crazy vision for how the world might go. You might dismiss this. After all, the guys on Wall Street, the financial guys, the, the real smart quants, those people did not see the value, or as much of them did not see the value in software. The lawyers, you know, other, other the people who run the country, did not see as much value in uh, the internet or software either, except as maybe an emerging threat. More recently, in the last 10 years, most people did not see the value of cryptocurrency, except as this crazy, ridiculous uh, new thing. But of course, in the long term, the people who saw these things, the people who made use of these things, not just to say that it's going to rain and I'm going to, uh, you know, that there's a flood coming, but to build an ark in response to expecting the flood, these people reaped the rewards of this knowledge. 
And once the prizes, once the loot has been captured, once the incumbent culture can see these upstarts getting prizes that matter to this culture, uh, in this case, money, and later, uh, positive attention, then they can start to value the upstart culture. But for a long time, these people from the upstart cultures will not be given the same amount of prestige. I suspect that this is a sort of redundancy that this enables new systems, new values, new cultures, so on, to be tested extremely well before they get adopted into the main product line, so to speak. So, I'm thinking about this in regards to what is essentially my failed Indiegogo campaign called Arm Your Mind, which is about trying to teach people agency through small unit infantry training. Because nothing, I think, teaches agency like learning to fight. The failure comes, I believe, from me failing to realize that even though when all the dots are connected between all the cultures I'm exposed to, this seems like a really useful thing, no one else, or very few people, have access to the spread of information that I have. And it's not their fault for not seeing that. It's on me to explain to them how this thing will be one day endorsed by the high-status people in their culture. Of course, a lot of cultures are sort of in a cold war, and a problem I'm finding is that because this is something that makes sense from multiple sides, it actually alienates each side in a way. Uh, an easy example is, is along the political compass. Um, it is not tactical or, uh, you know, uh, military sounding, I think, enough for people from the more conservative axis. And it seems too belligerent for people on the more liberal axis. Another aspect of this is the open source nature of learning, which is one of the primary ways that you get agency is by the belief that anyone, anywhere, whoever you are, that you can learn whatever skill you need to learn. And that you don't need a school or an institution or a certification to back that up. This idea is old, yes, but also very new. We're steeped in these institutions. We're steeped in certification. And so without the certification, people wonder, 
why should I give this any attention? And that's exactly why I'm doing this, is to prove over time, because I believe I'm right, that you don't need those things. But given the distance between where we are culturally and where I suspect we're going, it's very hard to get anyone to endorse these things. It's very hard to get anyone to endorse personal agency. Bees, when they forage, um, or when they scout out for a new hive, um, typically older forages do this, when they find a good location, they buzz when they come back. Um, and basically, they dance hard. And the hive, the lo new location that gets the most forages dancing hardest, basically gets the one, is the one that, that gets picked. And it just so happens that this is often the most suitable hive. The basic idea here is that the fitness of the new location results in the fitness of the bee's actions. So, I believe that if you found something valuable, if you found something that's going to improve the fitness of your collective, it will inspire and invigorate you to dance harder, which is what I'm doing with this project. There is no way, I believe, for this to be the wrong path for me. And so I am going to keep on doing this and I'm gonna do it harder with what little I have so that other people might look and see if this person is willing to put so much attention into this, surely it's worth a look. And sooner or later, one of the people who look is going to have a lot of status. And once they adopt it, another uh, couple dozen people might do the same, and so on, so on, and so forth. So, when you find yourself in a situation where you believe something is going to be useful, but no one seems to get you, and that might be as simple as whether you're dateable or not, or whether you should be hired or not, Start with yourself. Take yourself on a date. Give yourself meaningful work. And if you found something good, if you found something fit, you will be attracted to it. And that by itself is an indicator that eventually someone else may be attracted to it as well. And it's true that this may take several lifetimes, that your work may be the kind where you die and 200 years later people discover it and are completely attracted to it. But just because it happens after your death doesn't mean it doesn't matter. The very fact that you are attracted to it now means it matters.